Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket, everyone. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting the outstanding Leslie Basham. She is president and chief operating officer at Surgical Directions. Leslie's passionate about partnering with healthcare executives to improve the health and well-being of the communities they serve while profitably growing their organizations. As president and CEO of Surgical Directions, Leslie is responsible for building meaningful relationships with clinicians and administrators, ensuring high-quality work and insights, and delivering measurable outcomes. Leslie identified over a billion dollars of revenue opportunity for her clients throughout her consulting career. She focuses on patient access, process improvement, clinician productivity, consumer engagement, and health innovation. She has regularly published and presented on health transformations, and uh, I'm so excited to host her here on the podcast today on the work that she and the team at Surgical Directions is up to. Leslie, welcome. Thank you, Saul. That was quite the introduction, so thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So, Leslie, you guys are certainly playing a big role in helping providers understand the challenges and, and really building those relationships between the different clinicians to help that that overall, you know, delivering care and, and achieving profitability. Before we dive into what you guys do so well, talk to us a little bit about you and what inspires your work in healthcare. Yeah, I think that's important to ask in healthcare because healthcare is it is so personal. So I came from a family of healthcare providers. My father was a pediatrician and and regularly, you know, you would see the patients and the families come up to him and, and be so appreciative of, of the care that he provided. And, you know, you become like a, a local hero when you are helping to improve people's lives and helping them to live a, a healthier life. So I was always motivated by that. And, you know, and then on the other side, as a patient, I've also experienced healthcare and how broken, really, and frustrating our healthcare system can be. So, I see it when it works great. And then I see what what really motivates me today is how do we make it just work better, right? Because I cannot, you know, it takes me months to get an appointment. I don't know how much anything is going to cost. And, you know, because I'm seasoned at this, you know, I always ask, well, how much is this going to cost? And it's it's nearly impossible to get a straight answer. And so I have become very passionate. It's really been my life mission to take how do we take that that very close patient, you know, clinician relationship and, and improve patient outcomes, but make it less complex, less stressful, and to be able to deliver, you know, that exceptional patient care, but at a sustainable cost structure and in an easy way for patients. And I don't think that happens today. And I think we need to, you know, I am working very passionately about getting that back, getting back to a seamless, 
care process for patients and for the people who are delivering the care, we've made things very complicated now, and I don't think it's going to be sustainable to stay the way it is. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really great point. And so the opportunity to to do better is there. And I mean, you you mentioned a couple of the of the pain points, right? You don't know how much it's going to cost, it takes forever to get an appointment. So talk to us a little bit about what you guys are doing at Surgical Directions to add value to the healthcare ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we are focused on on addressing a lot of those issues I, I talked about, right? So how do we improve patient access? How do we improve the efficiency of patient care so that each person has a meaningful experience and gets the outcomes that they need, but that we're not creating bottlenecks in the system that that next patient can't get in. And meanwhile, reducing the overall cost of care, particularly in the surgical space. So as our company name implies, Surgical Directions, we are focused in surgery and anesthesia. And that's important because you talk about the size of healthcare, right? Healthcare is this huge, huge portion of our economy. And so surgical services then equates to about 20% of that national healthcare spending. And typically for any individual hospital generates about 70, 70% of that health system revenue. And so surgery becomes the heart of the hospital that's really subsidizing care elsewhere in the facility. And so if, if that department is not running well and not delivering the outcomes it needs to do, but also you know remaining productive because it is very high dollar space per minute, how do we make sure that surgery is is performing at the best level it can for that institution. And so I'm sure you've on other episodes of your podcast, right? These health systems, they're up to, or their margins are around less than 2%, right? So it's paper thin margins. There's very little room for error. And then you throw COVID-19 on top of that. And that margin is even more pressured. So surgery really helps to create financial stability for the hospital, which then allows the hospital to keep providing their mission. And, and so we help surgery, right? We help surgical services run better. So let me provide you an example, I guess. So one thing that we're doing or a client I am currently working on is a hospital. They have their huge trauma center. They see thousands of high acuity patients a month, and it's a very stressful environment. And then on top of that, they have a lot of staff turnover a poor culture and various operational efficiency issues. So it's taking that really high stress environment and making it making it worse. They're still providing excellent patient care, but everything around it becomes stressful. So we work with that system to understand what is the root cause for that turnover, what's the root cause for the culture issues and efficiency. And we do things we like we establish cross-functional or multidisciplinary governance councils because really it's these people who are on the front lines who need to be a part of the solution. So we create this council with a surgeon uh, chair and anesthesia co-chair, and the nurses are at the table, administration is at the table, but it's predominantly surgeons. And, and they are then the ones who are holding each other accountable. Uh, and they're making the tough decisions on scheduling and operations and behavior expectations. And it's really got to start with the surgeon because of that, you know, operating rooms still have a very hierarchical culture. And so, you know, that council then can help to drive, drive those changes, help to improve the access and the quality of care. So what we do with surgical directions, we use that council and 
We give them the analytics they need to make informed decisions. We start daily huddles every afternoon with a different group of people to discuss the cases, the patient cases that are going to be scheduled the next couple days so that we make certain that that patient has everything that they need to be ready for the day of surgery. There's all these other components that go around surgery because it's not just what happens in the hospital. It's all the prep before and the, and the maintenance afterwards. And so we start to connect those pieces to make a more seamless patient journey and make it run smoother for the clinicians who are all there to, to help that patient. But there's, you know, there's administrative things or operational things around them that put stress on that mission. And so how do we minimize those stressors to let them provide uh, excellent patient care? And that's part of the work that we helped this client through. And it really, we saw turnover improve. The culture really starts to improve. A lot of things start with culture, right? The turnover was probably outcome of the culture. And, and it helped to make the environment a, it was always a prestigious place to work, but an even more prestigious place to deliver care. Yeah, you know, and, and there's, uh, there's an opportunity for all of us to improve how we do things, the process, the governance. And so within surgery, you know, you're right. It's, it's a large part of the hospital's revenue. If that breaks down, it becomes an issue. COVID's been a, an example of that, right? I mean, without the fault of anybody, you know, any provider, census has been down and people have been fearful of going in and getting their surgeries. Uh, so this has created a lot of pressure on that 4% margin that you mentioned, Leslie. And so as, as you, it sounds like you guys dig into all of the different things that come into play with surgery. So talk to us a little bit about how you believe what you guys offer makes you different than what's available out there today for, for a lot of these providers. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Saul. And, and you're right, COVID has made a huge impact, right? It has reduced the census. We've seen it reduce around 20 to 30% within 2020, those patients just never were able to get back in. And so it was just a, you know, a total year loss of, of cases of patients who were able to, to receive care. And so what do we do that's different with your question? And I guess build on the example that I just provided in your last question, right? Sure. That type of complex change, it's not easy, right? It doesn't come easy. And so we approach these situations with a small but deeply experienced team, because it is it is hard to change the way a surgeon provides surgery, right? Surgery is often that black box within the healthcare ecosystem because it is so complex and the stakes are so high. And so we have to make sure that any time we are suggesting a change, it's it's a peer-to-peer model so that we're matching surgeons to surgeons, anesthesiologists, anesthesiologists, nurses to nurses, and people who have who've walked the floor, walked the halls in these people's shoes, and then they stay with our clients through that transformation on the ground, helping them, you know, address each of the issues as they come up. And since we've worked across about 400 healthcare clients in the past, we're able to know what works well and what doesn't. And we've taken, you know, other people have taken the bumps and the bruises so that you know, future clients don't. And that's, I think, the benefit of, of healthcare or where healthcare can really benefit is let's not have to have everybody start over again. You know, the, the old mantra with healthcare was local and it still is local, but it can't operate locally or it can't just try to solve each problem locally because that's, that's not going to work as quickly or as with as much impact 
as learning from other organizations across the country or across the world. And so we take that you know, peer-to-peer model and we take the learnings from these other institutions. And, and a lot of times we will automate those learnings through our you know, analytic solutions so that you know, a lot of times people are building schedules still by a paper or Excel um, with what staff should go where. And those decisions have a ton of impact on the care that's delivered, right? If you put too many new people in a room, for example, or people who don't know, you know, really know ortho, but don't know neuro and they're in a neuro case. And so we create staffing models and block scheduling and preference card improvement and, and making sure the sterile, the, all the instruments are properly sterilized. We work through all those, you know, the many, many different intricacies of a surgical process. And we are able to use analytics to sort of systematize those. Mm-hmm. And and that governance council we talked about and partner those together and really drive culture and process change. And it's so I think that's what makes us different, right? We have that experienced team that you know has done the surgeries, has been in the OR, but now has this huge experience through these other hospitals and, and our analytic solutions that make our impact much more scalable. Yeah, Leslie. And you you mentioned some great examples of how you were able to to do that in the at the beginning of the podcast, improving culture and being able to put together some some good systems and processes to to lower turnover. What would you say is one of the biggest setbacks you guys have experienced, and and a key learning that came out of that? Yeah, I mean, COVID nineteen, the the pandemic has been a huge setback, right? Yeah. It, it has created. Um, and there's there's many more, but this obviously is so timely. But it has created such a, a stressful and fear-provoking environment in the hospitals, right, and in the care centers as as our clinicians are trying to treat you know people who are COVID positive and not get sick themselves. Seen a lot of people retire early. A lot of people, a lot of clinicians stepping out of the workforce because of that that fear. And with that also with the hospital being overrun, canceling elective surgery cases. And so as soon as they canceled or postponed those surgery cases, that the kind of financial engine of the hospital stopped, right? And so mm-hmm. it created a huge amount of financial pressure on these hospitals. And I'm not saying these hospitals are out to, you know, get all this all the money, right? Most of them are nonprofit and they need those to keep delivering care. And so they had the pressure of getting more PPE and the staff turnover and and then the postponement elective surgeries. And it was really this trifecta of clash in being able to deliver care with COVID-19. And then that in turn, you know, has an impact on us. How do we, we can't do things the way we used to, right? Where you can't necessarily be arm in arm with your clients when you can't travel or there's, you know, huge restrictions on people going into the hospital, understandably. And so it really gave us a moment to say, what do we need to do now? Right? This is mm-hmm. this is different. We can't go, we can't do what we were doing the same way. And we were able to retain hundred percent of our clients that we had started through COVID. So that was a very good thing. Congrats. But but we had to think about it differently for the new ones, right? Because you're not meeting face to face, you're not having that handshake. And so we had to think about first, what do our clients need? You know, the 
ambulatory, it's not just hospitals and health systems, but ambulatory surgery or physician groups or med device companies, these startups, anybody who's in the surgery space, what, how are they going to have to do things differently? And so what do we do to help them do things differently? And so we really became more innovative in our solutions. Uh, we had to as survival. And then we had to look at how we ran as a company and, and say, what do we need to do differently now to deliver these different types of solutions? And so I'm sure you felt this. Most, most small businesses and even large companies felt this huge amount of pressure of how do we weather this storm? And so we were thinking about that for our clients and for ourselves. And the, the silver lining of it all is I think people really took, the good organizations took that time to say, okay, how do we innovate? How do we do things differently now? Because it will change the way care is delivered, right? There, there's a lot of things that will change with, in terms of patient prep and the testing that happens and additional virtual technologies, even within surgery, uh, virtual is being used a bit more. And so I've loved that we were able to respond and I loved seeing how other organizations were able to respond and come together. I think there was more collaboration across new parties than there was in the past when we were all so busy just doing our the thing that we always had done. And so the silver lining or one of the silver linings was that innovation, but it was clearly a setback, right? That we had to, totally. we had to start doing something differently. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the leaps that we've made during the last year are really around the perioperative, you know, areas, the primary care, that, you know, testing, all that stuff, you know, and I'm curious from your perspective, Leslie, how has COVID changed surgery or hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I think it most certainly has. And, okay. and Saul, you're right in that there has been a lot of change in the surgery space. Canceling or postponing those elective surgeries back in March and April of 2020, that shined a lot of light on surgery as, mm. as what surgery did for the hospital. But it also put some pressure on of how do you get all those people back, yeah. right? And, and what if they don't come back and how do they come back? And so I think there has been a significant amount of change, especially in the pre-op. There's always pre-surgery testing, pre-anesthesia mm -hmm. testing. It's called different things in different places. But that looks very different now than it used to. And it's become increasingly more important. And mm -hmm. I don't think that will change. I don't think it'll change that that becomes important or even more important than it was before. Because if patients aren't prepped, they won't go into surgery. And the opportunity right. cost of a same-day cancellation is huge for the patient. It the is. stress of that, right? all the prep that goes into it and you show up and you can't have the surgery, but there's also huge opportunity cost for the surgeon and the hospital and the care team. And so I think we're going to start seeing a lot more virtual and digital patient engagement tools to help make sure that that patient is, is prepped properly before surgery. And it also helps to connect that care team with the patient earlier, which I think is going to be helpful from that patient anxiety patient payment and, and patient care perspective. And then also at the end, so surgery will look different, right? There's a ton of new safety protocols, the way the rooms are pressurized, the flow of patients, but then post-op, post-operatively, when there's that care after surgery, I think that same patient engagement, patient solution, communication will flow through at the end because really you've got to watch patients 60, 90, 180 days after surgery 
depending on what sort of surgery it was, to make sure there's not a readmission, to manage their length of stay. And so I think there's going to be changes there. And I've been so, it's been so interesting to see all of the new startups in the space, Mm -hmm. thinking about how do you reduce the cognitive load or the stress of those clinicians in in the hospital or in the OR while they're delivering care. There's a lot of cool new innovation that has come up recently that you know, we're working with to help them better understand the surgery space. And it's it's fun to see that and fun to see this new innovation that is, as I mentioned, coming out of COVID. And like I said, even though it's a black box, it is not immune to this, to this changing. And I like you use the word leap. You know, they're they're able to leap ahead where and maybe primary care was already utilizing a lot of this patient engagement solutions that that really surgery should have been using and some of the analytics that were happening in, you know, the retail industry, you know, how do we, or, or the manufacturing industry, how do we think about that now here in, mm-hmm. in healthcare? So it's been, I'm excited. I'm really excited. The vaccine coming out is a wonderful thing. And many healthcare workers have already gotten that. And it's, you know, I, I think we're going to see a renewed interest or an openness, openness is a better word, for change. Mm-hmm. People were maybe resistant to, resistant to change, but we've because we've all experienced so much disruption over the last, you know, nine months or so, nine to ten months. It's that will that will be a good thing. People are going to be interested in doing things a little bit differently now because the status quo is has been so volatile. That's great, Leslie. And one of the things you mentioned is, you know, the biggest opportunity potentially for change and help with that change is, is that pre-op, post-op, what are you doing to make sure that these patients have a good experience leading up to their surgery, they have everything they need and that they don't cancel when they get there. And then on the back end, ensuring that there's no readmissions or, or, or reduced readmissions and what kind of plan is there? What are your neighbors doing about this? Mm-hmm. These are the types of things that Leslie and her team have a bird's eye view on and could potentially help gain insights for you and your facility. So fantastic insights there, Leslie. This has been great. You know, you talked about a couple things that you were excited about, but, you know, with, with innovation, but what, which of those is the most exciting for you? Yeah, I think the most exciting part is going to be what happens within the OR. Mm-hmm. So pre and post-op, like I said, kind of benefit from some of these other type of care and type of industries, but what happens in an operating room looks very different. And the place that the operating room is located looks very different, right? So it may not be in the hospital anymore. You know, there's a huge growth in ambulatory surgery instead of in hospitals. And so, and then does it stop at the growth in ambulatory surgery or does it go to the doctor's office? And how do we start making safe surgery more accessible well, it, that means I think it has to be in more locations, right? It's not just always in an acute care center. And we're, we're seeing that with the shift, you know, what they're calling out migration of cases from the acute care center to ambulatory surgery or to office space. And how do you make sure that that stays safe? And there's benefits of, you know, there's patient preferences to actually do your case outside of a hospital, especially if it's elective. Because why go where there's a lot of people who are really sick? and have a surgery conducted 
when you could go someplace that is more elective and it's not necessarily because anyone is sick, it might be ortho related, for example. And so I'm very excited about really that transformation of care delivery to make it much more, you know, care everywhere type thing. So not just always in a hospital. And, and that means you need all that pre-op and, and post-op where that makes the pre-op and post-op much more important. And it's because those exist and that you are able to create infrastructure and support, you're able to do things in a non-hospital setting. And there's programs like the periop surgical home, or there's a lot of talk about patient surgical concierge. And so how can the surgical concierge then create that seamless experience and create that connection irrespective of where your surgery is conducted? And I think that's going to be very a, a trend really to watch. And that will, as cases move outside of a hospital, it will also evoke a lot of innovation in, in how things are done. And those models, you know, payers like that type of model, surgeons potentially like that type of model better. And so it starts to create momentum in that shift and then hospitals will have to respond to. So I'm excited to see where that goes and the innovation that is allowing that, that out migration to accelerate. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting idea. And it makes you think about hospitals, you know, and the role that they play in our communities and, you know, what the future potentially can look like. We have to be thinking about that. And um, Leslie, this is uh, a very interesting and exciting thing to think about. So really appreciate you jumping on with us today. Why don't you leave us with the closing thought? And then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you and your team to learn more and engage. Absolutely. Well, it is very interesting. And so I guess what I would encourage, my closing thought is, as most of the listeners, I'm sure, are related to healthcare, to start picking up the phone or email and start connecting with people who may not be in your exact space, right? But I think what happened with that silver lining I talked about with COVID of connecting the healthcare ecosystem and thinking about things differently, I think now is the time to start to rebuild, reimagine what healthcare can look like. And I think the more we collaborate and communicate together, the quicker we will get to a better and more sustainable healthcare model. And so, you know, I, I always encourage the younger people I talk to to go into healthcare. We need the best and brightest minds going into healthcare. It's incredibly rewarding. And we need people to solve these problems. And so the people that are in it, I think we need to keep motivating each other because we know that our system, our healthcare system is not working as well as it should. We're not, we don't have a sustainable model. And so how can we come together and build this more sustainable model? And there's going to be, I guess, winners or losers is a little bit too binary, but how do we come together and make it so that the greater healthcare ecosystem is improved and that people are able to to be a part of that instead of uh, left behind. Great message. And folks, you can learn more about Leslie and her team. It's surgicaldirections.com. Leslie, what's the best place for folks to get in touch with you? Is it the website or is there are there other ways? Yeah, the, the website is a great place. We also have an email address. You could go info at surgicaldirections.com. Or I'm also on LinkedIn as Leslie Basham uh, with Surgical Directions. So I look forward to, pe- you know, if people have questions or want to talk more, I'm, I'm very passionate about the subject. And so I appreciate the opportunity. So I do encourage 
folks to reach out if they have questions or, or want to talk more. Outstanding. There you have it, folks. Take Leslie up on that. I think this year is, is probably the best year to do that. Think about where the system is going and uh, what you could do to partner to, to prepare yourself for, for that change. So Leslie, big thanks to you and uh, certainly looking forward to staying in touch. Indeed, me too. Thank you, Paul. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners. No podcast? No problem. Launch a professional podcast you'll love in four weeks. Most people hire production companies to edit and distribute content that sounds bad and does nothing for their revenue or their network. But you could turn the key to a made-to-order podcast and skip all the pitfalls that make 90% of shows discontinue after five episodes. We've got the expertise, the elbow grease, and you're back on this one. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.